everybody, it's David James Young here for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Thanks so much for tuning in and checking this out. Really appreciate you being here. Got a whopper of a guest today, the almighty and incredible Joe Talbot. He is the lead singer and lyricist of Bristol band Idols, who last year released one of the most talked about and beloved albums of the year, Joy as an Act of Resistance. They brought it to Australia in January for the first time ever, and they played two incredible shows at the Oxford Art Factory and the Lansdowne, respectively. This was recorded before the show at the Oxford Art Factory, and it was a long time coming. I've been trying to set up an interview with Joe for a while, basically ever since I heard the record, and uh, this was finally my chance to make it happen. A huge, huge thank you to uh, Bray Wilkinson over at Inertia for helping to make this one happen, and honestly, a huge, huge thank you to Joe for his time as well. A really kind, really thoughtful person who was obviously incredibly jet-lagged and messed up, and still really took the time to chat to me and, and get to the crux of everything that's going on with Idols at the moment, so... Yeah, that was a huge one. Also, at both shows, I got a shout-out, which was uh, very, very unexpected and very humbling and very flattering. So, a massive thank you to Joe and a big, big thank you to Idols for finally coming to Australia. I really, really hope that we get to see those guys again real soon. Want to give a shout out as well to Adam Buncher for helping with the uh, audio editing and uh, production for this episode uh, and most of the episodes that you hear. He is an absolute wizard and uh, really, really appreciate his time working on this podcast. And I want to thank you guys for sticking around and supporting the podcast. Uh, there are many ways you can do that, by the way. You can leave a review over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called now. Uh, you can rate us and review us, as I mentioned, and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can listen to us on Stitcher, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as I said, wherever you want you can also spread the word over on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at BarBandsPod. You can also hit us up at BarBandsPod at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch about anything, maybe a, maybe a guest or maybe a certain episode, or if you have any questions, concerns, complaints, death threats, just send them all my way, BarBandsPod at gmail.com and if you would like to go the extra mile and help to support this podcast and myself financially then you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash david james young i am an independent freelancing podcaster and writer and everything i do there is no certainty as to whether there will be any financial gain towards it at the end so every little bit counts and is massively, massively appreciated. So a huge, huge thank you to Amy Gray, Blake Hennequin, Chris Bowden, Eleanor Shepard, Elliot J. O'Neill, Eloise Young, Heath Anthony, Jeremy Neal, Jonathan Elvery, Leslie Bowden, Liam Sherlaw, Matthew Lynch, Nick McCorriston, Patty Abalos, Rachel Maria Cox, Cian Vanacuti, and Tanya Taylor. If you would like to join this collective of absolutely wonderful fucking people, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash David James Young for all the bonus content, additional uh, perks, etc, etc. I'm, I'm trying to really build it up now, uh, I now that I have some time to do so. 
I really want it to be an extension of all of my work, whether that's musical or podcasting or writing or whatever else. And your support is so, so valued and so, so appreciated. All right, let's stop faffing about. Let's get into it right now. This is my chat with Joe Talbot from Idols. Hi everyone, I'm David Ginger, and all my friends are in Barbados. Today I would like to introduce you to my friend, Joe Talbot. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm alright, I'm, I'm a bit stressed, but, you know, hey-ho. True, true. How long have you been in Australia now? A uh, week and a half. Yeah. Have you kind of adjusted the brain and et cetera to the, to the world around you? I know yeah. it's, 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 there's that kind of period where it's like... Like, what day is it? Who's the president? Well, like, I know I, it's weird how quickly you go on tour and you forget what day it is. But um, I was more worried about uh, jet lag and all that. Sure. But it was fine. There was no, there was no hassle. And the shows have been magic. People are good. Weather's better. Brilliant, brilliant. Than at home, I mean. Not yeah. than the people. The people yeah. are better than the weather. <laughs> <laughs> And you've never been here before, ever? No, not, never to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, wow. Mm. So, yeah, I can imagine it's kind of a surreal experience to come this far and have people know all the words to all your songs and stuff like it's that. It's beautiful. I love it. It's really surreal. Obviously, you get it in, like, foreign language countries yeah. in Spain or whatnot, where you go and you, it takes you back. But I think just the notion of flying for, like, 22 hours to get somewhere yeah. and still feeling like you're part of a community is, 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 is amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I see you've already interacted with a bit of our foreign fauna. You uh, the chats that you show on, on Melbourne the other Absolutely, day. Absolutely, yeah. I met, <laughs> I met Eamon. I was really stoked to meet because I love the chats. I think their music's great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, beyond beyond like Smoko and all that, I actually really like their music. And it was great. It was an honour. And he jumped on stage. It was good. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. You reckon there's a potential collaboration there? Maybe you guys can work together at some, some vicinity in the future? Well, never say never. I, <laughs> I, I, I haven't asked him because uh, we, we're both very busy bands. True, so, this yeah. is true. <laughs> We've got our own stuff going on, but I'll definitely join him for a beer or two later in the year. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, man, yeah. So, I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it changed from being something that maybe you were watching on TV, listening to on the radio, something like that, to being like, this is what I want to do, I want to sing, I want to play an instrument, I want to be in a band, etc. Like, uh, was there kind of a switch-on moment for you, like, growing up? Not growing up. I always saw music as, like, an untangible dream of yeah. getting involved with. I always just listened to it. I, like, constantly listened to music all my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got to uni and my mate was like, do you want a DJ? I know you love music and you're always talking about it. Do you want to just like put a night on at my, my bar? I was like, sounds yeah, I'll do that. And it was amazing, like it went really well. We were like going down to like big shows down the road yeah, yeah, yeah. and like lying and saying we had the official after party and stuff. 
started having like Johnny Marr turn up and Dizzy Rascal turn up and stuff, yeah, wow. thinking they were coming to their official after party <laughs> and they had to buy their own beers and whatnot. <laughs> um, so it was, it was good. Uh, but then I got bored and there was, a, there was like a bloated part of the scene in the UK where there was bands everywhere, DJs everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's just that like cocaine moment where everything's bloated and vapid, there's nothing. Just playing other people's music and I just wanted to I was like I'm just gonna get I'm gonna start a band I'm gonna talk about stuff that actually matters and have fun I was so bored of seeing bands look like they were bored yeah like why be in a band if you don't enjoy it or if you're enjoying it why don't you show it yeah totally. like, fuck that noise man like I'm not paying six pounds to to watch some guy look like he wants to fucking leave. <laughs> and they're always better looking than me. So I was like, fuck them, I'm going to start something. So Excellent. I did, and the rest is history. Indeed, indeed. Where did you grow up? Uh, all over. Newport, I was born in South Wales, in Newport. Right. And then I moved to Bristol, uh, southwest, and then moved to Devon, which is where all the surfy racists are. And, um, and then moved back to Bristol for uni and stayed there. Started right. the band when I was 25. So for someone who's never been to that particular area, like, how would you describe like the music scene and the music community that was around when you were first like getting into music and going to shows and stuff like that? Well, obviously it was at the height of indie, so like there was, yeah, sure. well, like actually not the height, not the best part of indie, but when yeah. when there was the most like saturated, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the saturated part. Um, but Bristol's one of those places it's like from it's a long long history uh, it was where all the slaves were yeah. massive slave trade town where the port was so long history of Afro-Caribbean people uh, long history of Polish people long history of, of all sorts of people it's always been a melting pot which is beautiful and it means that like difference is celebrated in Bristol always has been like you know not there's never really been like a lineage of a scene. Obviously, you had uh, trip hop that was that was invented there. But like the reason why trip hop was made was because there was like the the, the dancehall sound system culture, the rave culture, drum and bass scene, and like people coming out making amazing post punk, like yeah, the yeah. pop group and stuff. Sure. And trip hop came out of all of those people getting together because you could go to a night where there was like dancehall and post-punk at the same thing yeah. people celebrated that and that's what trip hop was it was it was an amalgamation of culture celebrated in some of the best albums ever made so you didn't have any bands or playing live or anything like that before idols no really i never touched a microphone really or a guitar or anything yeah. anything yeah right mm. So describe that moment of the first Idol show where you are doing that for the very first time. Like, obviously, you've grown up watching other people do it. And you kind of, you know, have an idea of what they've done. Like, like this vicarious yeah. sense of it. But I can imagine it's another thing entirely to literally just step up to the microphone and perform for the very first time. Yeah, I was like nine points of Guinness deep. <laughs> I was absolutely shit-faced like you see photos of my glasses are right at the end of my nose and I'm like I think I'm Ian Curtis and I'm not I'm a fucking idiot um, but I don't you know I've always I've always lyrically um, I've gotten better but I've always talked about the same things Yeah. so I had that purpose then I had a sense of purpose and I had a sense of enjoyment and loving it and, and never hiding that 
Um, we were terrible. Um, we were very <laughs> bad. We were not a good band. But we loved it. And people kept coming back because we loved it so much. And you can see that in our faces. So they wanted yeah. to join in and get involved. And we had very supportive friends and, and whatnot. And a lot of connections through DJing. So promoters would put us on first or whenever. Yeah. Um, but the first, the first gig was at the Golden Lion Pub. And I, it was a blur, but it was a magic blur. Yeah, it was right. really good. And it, it, I, I was, you know, after that, I was never really nervous again. Yeah. Mm. Have you played there much since? since we've done, we done two shows since then. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. What was it like to come back to there after all that time? Well, we were there like every day anyway. Sure, like, yeah. We, we <laughs> were like, local, yeah. Yeah, Dev, Dev actually worked there. He was a the manager by the end. So we did, we'd sometimes write upstairs. But our, our practice room was about a five-minute walk down the road, so we'd chuck all our amps in these shopping trolleys and yeah. then push them down the street and... So we were there all the time. It was the hub of what, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd leave there at six in the morning pretty much yeah, four, four, four days a week. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful home of ours. Um, but, yeah, going back there was great. We, we, we put our, 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 our night on Batcave um, a few times since then as well. Yeah. Um, but it'd be nice to go back there and do a show one day. Sure, it's sure. great. I mean, it's not the same. It's not as good as it was. Oh, Nothing course. ever is, is it? Exactly. Exactly right. Tell me about uh, playing outside of like your local area for the first time. Like, when was the first time you guys kind of like travelled to play shows? Oh, it's always shit. When you're starting out, it's, oh, it's yeah, hard. Absolutely. Like, I mean, the UK is an awful place to play live. Obviously, we got great crowds and the venues. There's some beautiful venues like the Adelphi and Hull, like. Loads in Bristol, the Fleece, the Louisiana, they're always, they're like amazing, like, institutions of, yeah, like, yeah. new music and new ideas. But there's no money, there's no subsidies from the government, there's no positive attitude towards creative thinking in our country. So what that means is there's loads of deflated barmen and sound engineers and deflated managers and deflated promoters that yeah. are all fucking starved of opportunity because of a shitty attitude towards new music. So playing there is whack. If you're a new band, it's, it's, it's dire. And you're like, you know... And this is a time when we started playing in... It, you go to London straight away. That's where you go. Yeah. I don't know what your equivalent is here, but there's not many places you with opportunity. Yeah. And you need to kind of get on a certain level of platform so that you can start selling tickets, mm. which means basically... <coughs> proverbially sucking dick um, and going to London for 50 quid which is what like a hundred dollars so you get your, your petrol covered and that's it yeah. and you know you get some moody promoter who doesn't even turn up half the time and you get given advice by these shitty bands who look bored on stage and you just yeah. you see straight through them and you just want to fucking throw them off but that was then and this is now now there's a plethora of amazing bands and it's not quite it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be yeah, we sure. were playing with loads of fucking vapid airy shit bands that didn't sound anything like there was no correlation between the bands just lazy promoters putting you on for yeah. the sake of it yeah, yeah. and paying you nothing and getting away with it but now it's, it's beautiful it's the best like playing in the UK is great but not probably not for new bands. Yeah, it's still sure. probably pretty weak. Yeah, it's just a tough. It's a tough territory. You go over the river to Europe. Yeah, and it's sick. It's sick. You know, the French government pay bands to practice. 
They've got subsidies for the arts. It's stunning. They've got a much better attitude. You go there, you eat dinner with the staff, the sound engineer, everyone sits at a table and eats dinner before the show together. And you get young people, old people, you know, there's no like, you know, it's not just a certain demographic. People feel free to come to new music and it's magic. It's great for Holland, you get whole venues run by volunteers. I mean, what the fuck? That's mind-blowing. It's beautiful. When was your first tour of Europe? Oh, crikey. I'm old, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe... I don't know when it was. When was it? Oh, we, we did one... We did a couple of shows in France. That was the first one. We went to Clermont-Ferrand and Bordeaux. Played at Rock School Barbe. Yeah. And some little bar in Clermont-Ferrand. And it was sick. It was really good. You know, and we thought we were the Beatles, like playing to like four people <laughs> yeah. in the middle of France. But um, it was sick. Like, like um, that was our first ever stint. It was like literally two shows. Probably crossed us an arm and a leg. Came back skin, um, yeah. but it was it was great. So you just you don't forget it. Oh, of course. What about uh, going to the to the states in North America? When when did that happen? Uh, that happened uh, about a year and a half ago now. Um, we got signed to Partizan and that gave us a better connection with uh, uh, a booker over there yeah, yeah. who kind of created a narrative for us to play in the right venues not waste people's time with good promoters to work hard for you because that's what you need you yeah. need someone trusted that will look after you when you because America is a, a vast ocean of, of course. demise you know it's so yeah. easy to get swallowed up and shut out um, and we weren't because we got looked after. And it's really, really hard to go, go over there and sell tickets. No one knows who you are. You're fucking nothing in America. Yeah, of course. You know, like you're driving for two days just to get to the next venue. I mean, obviously you understand that in this country. It's yeah, huge yeah. with a lot, nothing in the middle. It's great. It's a good, like, I feel like a tiny, I feel like, you know, a tiny fish in a giant pond. Yeah, and there's yeah. a lot to work towards and it, it makes you realise how delicate messages are and you, you, you you've got to be mindful of what you say and how you say it you're in new land like yes the other day when we were in invasion day or Australian day yeah. whatever you want to call it um, and I knew I had an opinion on it and I you know like you know I'm staring at mostly white faces in a, in a black land yeah um, and it's interesting what do you say because I have opinions but I'm not going to start barking at people it's not my country yeah. And I'm not more important than the people in the audience, and their opinion counts. That's not a discussion if I come in and. So, um, you know, and you do that, you have that mindfulness all the time. It makes you feel small, it makes you realize how unimportant your opinion is without listening to other people. Mm. So, traveling around the world, coming to Australia, coming to New Zealand, coming to America, Russia, Japan, you come in and it makes you feel humble and small. And I think feeling small is one of the most important things. Keeps you, uh, keeps you on your toes and keeps you grateful for what you've got, which yeah. is not a lot, but in our world, that's everything. I'm curious as to whether your approach to a performance would change in comparison to, obviously, playing like a hometown show or something like that. Mm. You have that advantage of everyone knows who you are, everyone knows all these songs, so you're going to get... You could stick your mic out at any point and you'd have like... 10 guys screaming the words back at you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, somewhere like America or, or North America, anywhere like that, for instance, where maybe people are just taking the content, maybe they've just, you know, seen one thing on YouTube and they're just checking them out for the first time. You know, yeah. You know, 
just kind of casual, kind of passerby kind of thing. Like, do you feel like as a performer you have to work in that environment a little bit harder to be like, this is why you should care, this is what we do? No. I think the important thing is to give everything you've got every night, whether it's two people in a crowd or 2,000, whether they know your songs or not. If someone's paying money to see you, like that, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Like, so I don't know, like what, five, five pounds, ten dollars. It's a lot of money to a lot of people. That's, that's a, like, and you, you don't take it for granted. You work, like you'll see, you'll see tonight, you'll see any night. I guarantee you, come back in a year and we're doing some festival and there's one person in the crowd, yeah. they'll get the best idol show they've ever seen. Because yeah. we're not about, we're not about being ungrateful. Great, yeah. be, being grateful and being gracious about the opportunities you get whether it's a shitty show in, in Buttfucksville or nowhere, yeah. it's still important to that person who's made the effort to come. Um, I'm never going to take that for granted, ever, in my life. And if I do, I'm, I'm not the person I was and I'll stop. What do you think the key difference is between, I guess, when you were first starting out as a, as a vocalist and a performer and where you see yourself now? Like, Do you mm. feel like you've learned to adapt and evolve and kind of change as a performer or is it kind of just like sticking with you know the things that you know you're good at and kind of fine-tuning them over the course yeah. of a, a tour a, an album cycle or whatever have you I think there's, there's different things that have, have changed the main thing about touring is that it really uh, makes you understand like how to perform without performing so yeah. like well for us it is is, is a it's something that we want is to be really good at being um, transparent so our performance is natural it's like the, the the instruments and the mic and the audience don't dislocate you from your being in the moment which means yeah. you know your parts inside out so you're not thinking about what you're doing you're just being yeah. that's really important for us to be in the moment and, and allow the, the people into that moment so you have this this energy that you can't describe really Secondary thing is artistic language has been a massive thing for us. Developing a language, I think any art, whether it's painting or singing or playing guitar or, I don't know, dancing, yeah. it's about expression and learning an, an artistic language and being fluent in yourself, yeah. projecting yourself to the world and getting something back from that as a constant. So you learn about yourself and you learn about where you're going and where you're from. And then in between is that moment where you express that as a, as a love or a hate or comedy, tragedy, whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. Um, and the fluency is, is what I want. I want to be able to be at a point where I'm fluent in my own artistic language, where I really, truly am being transparent in that moment, yeah. which is impossible to be truly transparent because yeah. you'll always have that split second delay where you're not actually... Yeah being truly in the moment because you have to voice it yeah. express it but that's the challenge and that's the most beautiful thing about learning how fallible your artistic language is and how yeah. far you've got to go because we're nowhere near ready yet we're nowhere near as good as the bands that I love and I like that because yeah. you know, it means I've got something to work towards but I'm definitely a lot more fluent in my own artistic language yeah. and I know the boys are as well I can speak for them on that like we're, we're definitely we've learned to embrace all the faults as well as the positives in our language and, and embrace what we don't like about ourselves and what we love about ourselves and put it out there 
and that act of vulnerability that we learned from joy as an act of resistance yeah. has really helped us kind of be confident in just being. Yeah. And just being is the most important thing for us. Just fucking smashing it. Perfect, yeah. I yeah. love it, I love it. Yeah. yeah, do you feel like there's been a shift in, I guess, the audience and I guess the response since that record came out? Because, you know, obviously it's kind of turned you guys into, you know, from being this kind of niche English band, but now with, you know, eyes all over the world, you know, people in yeah. Australia knowing who you are, going to America and having, you know, KXP and people like that knowing who you are, something like getting Rolling Stone or Enemy or anything like that, like... Seeing your name and your face and, you know, the band kind of everywhere now, as opposed to in just a couple of certain places. Like, yeah. I feel like it's really kind of stepped up with the release of this album. Mm. Basically, what happens is we, we self-release the first album, uh, Brutalism, and we were going to self-release the second album. Yeah. And then we got approached by Partisan. And the, like, you know, the, the, the idea was that we didn't need any money. We saved up enough from touring and, yeah. and merchandise. We didn't need a label. Yeah. So when we were talking to labels that were approaching us, we were like, well, we don't really need, we don't really need a label. So why would we sign with you? Yeah. So you could take our money? Why would we do that? But they were like, one, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely need our money, sunshine. <laughs> but what it meant was they understood that we built our own ship. We, we, as a touring animal, didn't need a label. We're fucking, we're fine. Yeah. We can afford, like, we paid for this to come to Australia ourselves yeah. with our own money from touring album, not album, sorry, touring and merchandise. Yeah. So we, we kind of, but that took years of saving and fucking having partners shout us about where our money was going. Yeah. Um, but we, we built that ourselves and they were really respectful of that. What they offered was this platform to be able to, have vinyl made and sent out to the rest of the world. So yeah. what happened was when we were signed, suddenly our platform was worldwide, which is something we could never have done ourselves. And that's something that we would never have appreciated before meeting Partisan and, and the language that they speak, which is an independent label that have a business mind, but also a creative mind that allows us to breathe. They won't fucking touch us other than look after us and be, you know, I guess a utilitarian cousin that just fucking <laughs> gives us drugs now and again um, but yeah no so it's fantastic uh, but that that's where the change happened and now what we have is is people being able to hear our music all over the world which yeah. is I mean obviously you get that with the internet but it's not the same yeah sure people don't there's there's still there's still a, a merit and a currency to physically owning an album or downloading it even it's a it's a it's an act of kindness and respect and mm. and uh it's great and it like it feels magic it does feel safe we like come to Australia and we feel part yeah. we feel part of Sydney's community I expect tonight we will feel like that because there are people there singing it back yeah, and, and giving it and we'll, we'll give it obviously we'll give everything we have as we always do so like it's, it's insane it's an insane thing that yeah. we never would have we like obviously we planned for it we built this ship so that we could do this but the if you're really honest with yourself, you know, it's never going to fucking happen. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm here and I'm like, holy shit. Right. It's great. It's, it's incredible. Um, mm. And obviously, you know, this, this tour and this album, this cycle is kind of taking you to all of these places, including obviously a lot of places that you've never been before. And it's Absolutely. Like, I, I, I don't know if like, 
you're the kind of person that is just like always thinking ahead but like are you thinking towards like the next cycle or what the next record will sound like or anything like that or is it kind of a matter of just like well we have this record and we're still you know pushing it out to anyone that can listen um yeah no we're like we're the typical band where like we're done with joy now we're, we're, sure. we're working on album three we've yeah, got yeah, new yeah. ideas and we want to keep there's no like you know why would you do this if you didn't want to keep moving forward? Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. like, like, it's a beautiful thing where you, you're able to, to slow down in life because you don't have to have a jo- like two jobs. You know, yeah. you, we're, we're now at a point where we can pay ourselves a wage and just focus on music, which means we have more time for family, which means it just opens up this avenue of like a slower pace and, and, and a, a much more rigorous pace in the band life. But family life is, is more... Uh, pleasant sure um, so like we're just hungry now we just want yeah. to keep making music and, and you know like it's that thing I was saying before about our audience and, and being grateful that's also like you know if people are paying money to hear our albums and, and come to our shows that gives us money to work harder on the more music like we're not mm. going to sit around and like pat ourselves on the back when we've got work to do people are, right. pay, people are giving us money Damn right. You know? Yeah. So fuck it. We've got to work for that now. Excellent. So we're on album three and we're working hard on it. Beautiful, man. It sounds shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's all right. It's all right. Well, we'll find out. We'll we find will. Out. We will. Maybe in 2025. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I'm just having a bad day. <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up here, mate. But before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests. Yeah. And now it is your turn. Great. I want to know about the best and worst shows that you have ever played. Worst show was at the Star and Garter in uh, St. Paul's in Bristol. Okay. Uh, there was like a homeless guy who just shouted at me the whole way through and he threw a ball on stage and this dog just ran around on stage. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, like a tennis ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like... like, like I, we had a couple of mates there who were like, yeah, but everyone hated it. They were there for like dubstep and reggae and shit. They didn't want to hear our stuff. Why were you playing a dubstep? <laughs> oh, well, it was just like our mate put an all-day festival on in the yeah, sunshine. Right, right, right. And they were like, hey, do you want to play? We were like, yeah. <laughs> so it was awful. So bad. Like, they hated us. They hated us. The best show is a real hard one. I'm going to go on instinct. Can I say it's between two or is that not no, okay? No, by all means. It's between Primavera Festival, which is my favorite festival in the world. Spanish crowds are insane, I love it. And we didn't expect it to be what it was. It's two in the morning, we thought it'd be all right. But it was huge. The crowd were like amazing. I had people crammed up the stairs, people couldn't get in, and it's an outdoor thing, you know? So it was, it was insane. Um, and it was just a beautiful moment for us where we really started to feel like taken seriously in a, in, a, in a crowd of people that we were in you know yeah. that was our that was our festival that we'd go to and take loads of pills and we're now on the other side sober in the moment and it felt beautiful second one or maybe joint first was uh, Le Bataclan in Paris where the shootings were but it wasn't about that it was about being there and the, the message that we bring I hadn't really appreciated as much before the, the idea of joy as an act of resistance and because it helped me so much in my life and, and yeah. get over the, the death of my daughter and, and so many other things and addiction. and I didn't realise the breadth of what 
our message had brought until we were in that venue and people were coming and it was the first time they'd come to that venue since the shooting and we were letting them in early to, to kind of just scope the place out and feel comfortable and safe um, or as safe as it can be from trauma and the, the love and the energy in that room when we played was overwhelming it was the best energy of it it's just you can cut it with a knife you know that's amazing uh, so yeah those two Beautiful. Probably the Batacom was number one. Yeah. Plus, imagine. fucking, the French are the best. I love them. And they've got the best food. <laughs> Maybe. It's a tough They don't have Vegemite, though. Yeah, no, that's true. No, I bet everyone says that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that's such a bullshit thing to say. Oh, no, no, it's fine. But do you know what? You're I've actually... never had it. There's some over there. I'm going to try it in a minute. Excellent. Well, uh, in the meantime, yeah. dear listener, Joy as an Act of Resistance is the name of the album. It is out now. It will be out still by the time that you are hearing this. Uh, and Idols uh, are going to continue on their path of world domination. But uh, Joe, is there anything you would like to add or plug or spruik, etc. before we get on out of here? I'd just like to plug my gratitude for coming down and asking me interesting questions. I appreciate that, man. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much, brother. It's lovely to meet you. Likewise, a pleasure. I'm David James Young, and all my friends. Are-